Brothers and sisters in Christ, what a week this has been in our country. Two of our soldiers killed in cold blood on home soil. Warrant Officer Vincent in Quebec and Corporal Cirillo while on ceremonial guard duty at the National War Memorial in Ottawa. And all this followed by that by now much seen chase, ending with the death of the shooter right outside the door of the Parliamentary Library. And if you've ever been to the Parliament buildings in Ottawa, then you know something of how, how deep into the heart of the Canadian psyche he went. It was like an arrow right into the heart of this country. Those who were caught up in it and who were locked down at the caucus rooms and some of the other buildings around Parliament Hill wished that they could be like birds and simply fly away. But there they were stuck for many hours until the all-clear sounded. And now I suspect that the families of the dead soldiers and especially the families of those who did the killing wish that they probably could somehow just fly away or make it all go away. And then this past week, Thursday, a message orig originating with Sean Malone, who heads an organization called Crisis Relief International, arrived in my inbox. It was forwarded to me by a number of folks, and maybe you got it in your inbox too. This was the message. We lost the city of Quiragosh in Iraq. It fell to ISIS, and they are beheading children systematically. This is the city we have been smuggling food into. ISIS has pushed back Kurdish forces and is within 10 minutes of where our Crisis Relief International team is working. Thousands more fled into the city of Erbil last night. The United Nations evacuated its staff in Erbil. Our team is unmoved and will stay. Prayer cover needed. Maybe some of you remember that email. As ISIS continues its campaign to create an Islamic state, many Christians and others are fleeing. Oh, how they must wish they could just fly away. For that matter, the same can probably be said of the 1.6 million, get this, 1.6 million refugees fleeing from conflicts in such places as Syria and the Ukraine and southern Sudan and the Congo and even from villages and towns controlled by the drug cartel in Mexico and elsewhere in Latin America. There are so many places where people are fearful and probably wish they could just escape somehow, fly away. Many of us, I certainly can't, I suspect, identify with it at all. And then there is that horror brought on by Ebola. Quote from the USA Today, Ebola is racing ahead of efforts to contain its spread, according to the World Health Organization. There are nearly 10,000 reported cases, a tally that underestimates the true scope of the epidemic as overwhelmed health workers fall behind in their record keeping. About half of Ebola patients have died. 
And it appears that in Sierra Leone, it's now the case that absolutely every region of the country has been affected. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove and could fly away. That must be the prayer of many on many a lip in, in the Ebola-affected areas of the globe. But now let's come a little closer to home. We know about people in our own community who have recently stood at the graveside because of the death of a family member. And for some of us, hearing about that only brings back memories and the reality of how death has affected us. And the loneliness at times can be smothering. Then we know of people who have been affected with the dread disease of cancer. Their, their names are in the bulletin every week. And they struggle, and they live with that reality. And every time such a diagnosis is made, we are filled with fear. A number of our families, and certainly people that you know of, are living with the realities of Alzheimer's disease that takes such a huge toll on the partner and on the children and on the extended family. There are these sorts of realities that make us so tired, so confused, so overwhelmed, so overloaded, pressured, at times ready to burst. We want to shout, stop, I can't handle it anymore. Give me a break. Stop the world, I want to get off. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away. There's all kinds of other things, too, that make us want to get off the world. There are the ordinary things of life, the seemingly unrelenting demands of work. There never seems to be an end, and we don't seem to accomplish a whole lot. What's my working good for anyway? I don't seem to get ahead financially, and the job is boring and meaningless. Surely there's more to life. Give me a break. I want rest. My marriage relationship isn't all that it's cracked up to be. All we ever seem to do is disagree. We're living in an incredibly tense atmosphere. I want rest. Get me out of here. Our children are so demanding. Is there ever peace for a parent? From a child's point of view, mom and dad are always down on me about something or other. Let me out of here. Our economic struggles never really seem to want to go away. Let me out. I want to escape. Constant walking on this financial tightrope makes it difficult, and I want to get away. Others in the community struggle with issues concerning their sexual identity, and they can't find any peace with that. Others real, are deal with the reality of abuse. They don't know what to do about that. They can't seem to get away from it either. I'm getting older, and my body doesn't do what I want it to do readily anymore. My years are ending. It's a struggle for me. I'm getting increasingly frail. I've been struggling with depression for years. Does it ever go away? I wish it would leave. I need a break. Stop the world. I want to get off. Oh, that I could fly away with the wings of a dove. The words of Psalm 55, verse 6, 
for some of us, are words that we have used. And if we haven't used them, I suspect we can certainly identify with them. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. For some of us, these are words that we can understand from our own moments as we desire to escape, perhaps even from those moments when some of us have considered the ultimate escape, namely suicide. The author, thought to be King David, was so very human when he wrote these words. Sure, he was a pillar of faith and obedience to God, and the Lord used him mightily in the plan of salvation. David's throne, the Lord had promised, would stand forever, and upon that throne, the king of all would sit and rule his people. And that king, of course, was Jesus, in whose family tree David was placed by grace. And sure, David had wonderful faith credentials, but he also wrote these words of Psalm 55, verse 6. And, you know, the fact that he wrote them, I think, is wonderful news for us, even today. Because reading them, we not only discover that David was human, but also that the desire to escape and to get away is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. Life may indeed get to the point where it becomes virtually impossible for us to bear the strain. And at that particular point, our systems scream for release, for escape, for a change of scenery. We may indeed get to the point in our lives where the pressure valve has to be opened to relieve some of the pressure. And then, of course, the question is, what do we do? What is appropriate or inappropriate release? Consider David's situation. David, you may remember, was anointed to be king of Israel by Samuel while Saul was still king. And the reason that Saul was being replaced was that he had, not, that he had turned against the Lord and he was no longer obedient to the Lord. And David had been called into the palace to soothe the troubled king of Israel with his music. But that kind of backfired on David in some ways. Saul ended up persecuting David and chasing him all over the land. So David became a fugitive. Saul wanted to kill David because he was so jealous of the way in which the Lord blessed David. And he wanted to kill David because he was so jealous of the fact that the throne would not be his, but David's. And in all of this, you may remember, David lost his best friend, Jonathan. And then later, once David was actual, the actual king of Israel, he had to deal with all sorts of threats to the throne. And the most well-known of the stories has to do with Absalom, who killed his brother Ammon, and then tried to take the throne away from his father David. And David at that point was forced to flee from Jerusalem and finally he was forced to fight against the forces deployed by his own son. And then in the ensuing battle, Absalom was killed. And oh, how David wept for his son. And then there were the enemies beyond the borders of Israel who had to be watched and contended with. 
And don't forget the people of Israel also needed to be governed. It wasn't always an easy task. But with the Lord's strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit, David ruled justly and wisely on the whole. Well, besides all of those struggles in life, if that wasn't enough, David also had on his conscience, and as a continuing memory, his sin with Bathsheba. He had lusted after her and finally took her as his wife. And at the same time, he made sure that Uriah, her legitimate husband, was conveniently killed in battle. And the result of, the first, the result of that sin had been the death of his firstborn son by Bathsheba. If we look at this from a psychological point of view, David must have had his moments of stress, to say the least. And when we put all the things we know about David together and try to project them on our own lives, no doubt we come to a point where we would declare, enough already. Stop the world. I want to get off. But it's interesting that David did not come to that point, to this point in his life, until he tells us in Psalm 55, he was betrayed by a trusted friend and advisor. And in verse 13, if you notice that, he described the person this way, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng to the house of God. The person David is referring to was someone that he knew well, someone he used to go to church with, someone who he could talk with and share things with, someone he could, could confide in. It's not known exactly whom it was that David was referring to, but there is some suggestion that perhaps it was Ahithophel, David's respected counselor. When Absalom had conspired against David, Ahithophel, according to 2 Samuel 16, conspired with Absalom against David. And at that point, David prayed that the betrayer's advice would be rendered useless, and it was. Absalom followed the advice of Hushai instead of the advice of Ahithophel. And the result was that Absalom lost not only the battle, but also his own life. And David therefore returned to the throne in victory, albeit a rather sad victory. And then rather than fall into the hands of the one he had betrayed, Ahithophel went and hanged himself. That's how he sought to escape from the realities of life. In Psalm 55 and its cry for release, for rest, for escape, for peace is produced because of this betrayal of David's close friend and counselor. Breaking a covenant, betraying a friend is one of the lowest and meanest sins in all of Israel. It was this betrayal that broke, the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. After all that David had endured, he couldn't stand it anymore. His problems and life now overwhelmed him. Death was staring him in the face at the hands of his own son, betrayed by his trusted friend and colleague. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. David was filled with horror, fear, revulsion, and confusion concerning what was happening in his life. 
He wanted escape. He wanted out. How terrible betrayal is. Jesus once also had to admit, one of you will betray me. And then with sadness and no doubt revulsion, he sent Judas on his way to do what he had to do. And then not much later, we find Jesus on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe having Psalm 55 in his mind. Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let me escape what is to come. But it was not possible. There was really no escape because only his sacrifice would bring us true forgiveness and make us righteous with the Father. And so thankfully, Jesus willingly did not run away. But he gave his life for sinners. There's other people in the Bible who wanted to run away. There was Elijah, who had his share of run-ins with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They wanted to kill the servant of the Lord, first because they held him responsible for the drought in the land, and secondly because he had shown them up on Mount Carmel in that great contest between God and Baal, at which time all the priests of Baal were executed. Elijah ran away because it seemed to him like Baal and his followers had the upper hand. And so the prophet felt powerless in the presence of the enemy, and he felt like he was the only one left on earth. The whole world was stacked against him, or so he thought. Even after seeing that whole event on Carmel, so he took off and he flew away. He went to the desert, where of course he met the Lord, and the Lord said, you're in the wrong place. Get back to work. And God recommissioned him for further service. The same story can be told of Moses and Jeremiah and Job and others who finding themselves in tight spots and predicaments or finding themselves overwhelmed by the pressures of life wanted to fly away. In such predicaments they would have loved to have the wings of a dove. And this desire to escape and to retreat, this desire for rest and peace is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. Actually, in some ways, we could say it's the basic desire of every believer as we look forward to the coming again of Jesus in all his glory when he will usher in complete rest and peace. The desire to escape and to get away from the things that pressure us is a natural and common human reaction to the pressure and tensions of life. And life is very pressured. The desire for escape and peace, as I mentioned, is in itself not sinful. It's how or what you use to escape that may be inappropriate. Or sinful. And so there are those who escape using the bottle or some other drug introduced into their body. These substances are used to make one feel good, to get their mind off the problems that they face. Others lose themselves in their jobs or try to escape to, to escape the pain of their daily existence. 
Still others run away from their problems by moving somewhere else, thinking that they can begin anew, or they simply run away from home and live on the streets or who knows where. But as you can imagine, all these are really rather poor escapes from the problems we face because once the effect of the alcohol or the drugs have worn off, the person will find him or herself right back where they started with the same difficulties facing them. Losing yourself in your job doesn't make the problems you're facing at home or elsewhere go away either. And when one runs away, the problems don't resolve themselves. They need to be dealt with, not run away from. Actually, when one runs away from home or their community, they just take their problems with them. And those problems continue to haunt them in their new community. All these escapes may provide temporary rest and relief, but not the long-range peace. Yet another means of escape from life and the betrayals we experience in life, particularly in the church and our faith life, is to cast aside the church and to perhaps escape, perhaps even cast aside the faith as something meaningless and unimportant. And yet another means of escape from life and from the challenges and the pressures of life is the method used by David's counselor, namely suicide. And the Old Testament tells us about a few suicides, such as Saul, Zimri, and Ahithophel, whereas the New Testament tells us about only one, Judas, who hanged himself. Others, like Jeremiah, Moses, Elijah, Job, the Philippian jailer, all expressed a desire to be dead, but they didn't actually kill themselves. And there are those even today who take their own lives. In The Bishop's Man, a book written by Lyndon McIntyre, he tells the story of the life of a community, vic or community victim to sexual abuse at the hands of the clergy. And suicide was the way this one young man dealt with what had happened to him. Though not necessarily unforgiven, suicide is a tragic way to escape. And even then, says the Lord in Amos 9, verse 2, even if one takes his own life, they cannot escape judgment. Actually, for those left behind, suicide creates more problems than the number the person was perhaps running away from. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. Life can become nothing but pressure sometimes. It can be unrelenting. Give me a break, we shout. Stop the world, I want to get off. But escaping, says David, doesn't solve anything. The problem will still be there. The problems stay. So what's the solution? What's the good solution? Finally, David gets to the point and to a solution in verses 16 and 22. And when he finally gets to the solution, it seems almost too simple, too easy, too trite of an answer. Running away, escaping, killing oneself, going into drugs or whatever, all that kind of stuff doesn't really help, he says, but I called to God, and the Lord saves me. 
Cast all your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, to use New Testament language. Wings of a dove are not really needed, even though we'd love to have them at times. The Lord is needed. Escape will not help, but the Lord will. Stopping the world and getting off doesn't solve anything. But Jesus can solve many things. And we may be ready to explode, and as trite as it may sound, David says, don't escape, don't explode, but put your issues and take your life and place it all in the hands of the Lord. Don't run away. Go to Jesus. Where else would you go? Look at the one who has given himself to us. He didn't run away from the pressures of life. He humbled himself and he became like us. And he died on the cross for you and me. You see, there lies the solution to all our concerns and to all our tensions. The cross. The cross. It sounds trite. Looking to Jesus and the cross doesn't mean that suddenly we're not going to experience any difficulties or problems or tensions in life. No, those are a very real part of our fallen lives. But it does mean that we have a place to go with our concerns. A Christian always has someone to turn to, namely the Lord, a Lord who is alive and a Lord who cares, a Lord who cared so much that he sent his son to die for you and for me. What's your only comfort in life and in death? Lord, they wanted the Heidelberg Catechism. It almost sounds trite. Lord's Day 1, my only comfort is I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to some organization, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And he has fully paid for all my sins and freed me from the tyranny of the devil. That's an amazing reality. Christianity has an amazing message for this world. Christianity has a positive force in our world. It doesn't seek to escape the miseries of this world in that sense. And even though Christians are looking for the coming of a new earth and the coming of the kingdom in all its fullness, the Christian faith is not escapist. You know the old song, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. Eh, not really. Not really. That's kind of an escapist sort of theology. Christianity is a faith that recognizes there's going to be moments in this fallen world in which we're going to be screaming out for release and for rest and for escape. And when that happens, we are called upon to react appropriately and meaningfully, which means we ought to look for our strength in someone other than ourselves. And if you think then of Psalm 55 then the Bible calls us to faith and to put our focus squarely on the Lord. After all, there really is no other source of hope in this life. 
Now, granted, that's not something the general population give much thought to. But Christians do. A Christian is someone who is never alone because they belong to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, I told you the story about ISIS. And part of that story of the beheadings of children is that it includes a number of children who refuse to recant the Christian faith. Well, think of that for a moment. Think of all those little kids that we had up here this morning, standing around the baptism font. And then think of a soldier with a weapon in his hand that says, recant faith. And that little child says, no, knowing that they're going to die. They belong to their faithful Savior. Stop the world, I want to get off. If only I had the wings of a dove. No, let me see Jesus. Let me see the Lord, let me know Him. And only then will we be able to experience real peace, real comfort, and real strength in our life. Amen.